everyone. Welcome back to our webinar series, Embracing Change. Really happy to see everyone and to welcome Santor back um, to share with us on the out, living with an outward mindset. Welcome, Santor. Thank you for having me, Faisal. Good evening to you. So I hope Singapore is uh, treating you well. Yes, it is. We are in a good place right now, <laughs> given the circumstances. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's start by trying, like understanding what is, what does it mean and how did this whole concept or idea or mm-hmm. um, way, I mean, I know you call it a mindset rather than a state of being or a way of being. Um, how, how did this all come about? I mean, I, I came to Singapore to train with you and I did the one dayer. But right. um, maybe you want to give a little background for everybody that's that's on the call. Right. So uh, greetings, everyone. Uh, thank, uh, thank you for joining us today. Now, uh, Arbinger's work, I'm from the Arbinger Institute, and Arbinger's work started with uh, because of a, uh, a philosopher. His name is uh, Dr. Terry Warner. And in the late 60s, he was associated with a very erudite person. His name is Arthur Henry King. And Arthur Henry King used to be the director of Commonwealth Education. And in his association with Arthur Henry King, Terry Warner, the philosopher, realized if he can solve the problem of self-deception, a problem that is defined like this, it is a problem of not knowing, yet resisting the possibility that one has a problem. I I repeat that. There's a problem called self-deception, and there are three conditions that together are defined as a problem of self-deception. Number one, we often create problems. Number two, we seem unaware that we create them. Number three, when people try to inform us that we are creating problems, we resist that possibility. When all these three things come together, it is called self-deception. And Terry realized if he can figure out how to explain this condition called self-deception, how it happens, how to get out of it, he can offer humanity hope again. So that was his uh, effort. So he worked on it for about nearly 10 years. And in the year 1978, after nearly 10 years of research, he figured out how to explain this condition. And interestingly, he was presenting his ideas to 13 of his fellow professors at the university. Now the professors listening to Terry, nine out of 13 people said, hey, Terry, what you just discovered, my work doesn't make any sense anymore. That's how profound the discovery was. And the Explanation to the self-deception problem revealed two distinct ways of being, being the way we are with people around us, right? And it revealed that. And that is what Arbinger's work is all about because Terry Warner founded the Arbinger Institute. And for a few years, what was happening was the research was primarily available in the university and his manuscripts of his research got photocopied more than 100,000 times and was circulating in the community around the university. And as a result of that, Terry was doing a lot of uh, evening classes, family members, individuals came and attended to him, attended to his, attended his classes, and it was extremely transformative. That is how Arbinger's work started. Then interestingly, in 1979, there's a world-renowned consultant uh, Stephen Covey. He was doing his PhD thesis in the same university Terry was, you know, uh, uh, working in, you know, and he was already a world-class consultant at that time. And he was familiar with Terry Warner's work. And he approached Terry to help him support one of his clients. And what that client did was they actually 
use Arbinger's Terry Warner's work and figure out how do we use this in a corporate setting as well. So not only in family uh, conditions, now the work is also available for commercial purposes. How do we now apply the solutions to the self-deception problem in the commercial setting as well? Yeah. So that's the genesis of Arbinger and how it all started. So, so what, okay, so now we've, we've got the three elements of self-deception. He's, he's mm-hmm. figured it out. He started to work with families. He's now, it's now coming to the corporate world. What, mm-hmm. what does living, first, what is an outward mindset, right? Let's move from deception to, to outward mm-hmm. mindset. And then how do we live it, right? So maybe, right. maybe explain a little bit and, and give us some examples. And let's see if we are actually doing any of the things that you're going to describe. And we can right. ask, you know all the people that are here to see, you know, what are we doing and what are we not doing? Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, remember I shared with you that the self de- solution to the self-deception problem or the explanation to the self-deception problem reveal two distinct mindsets or ways of being. And they are these. One is I'm living with people. I'm seeing the people around me as people just like me who have needs, burdens, challenges comparable to mine. And the other way to be in relationship is to be in relationship with objects. I'm seeing everybody around me as objects, as vehicles, as obstacles, as irrelevancies who are a means to an end. They are there to serve my need. So there are basically only two ways to be in relationship, two ways of being. I'm either being with people, I'm in a responsive way with people, we call it the outward mindset, or I'm in a resistant way with others. We call it an inward mindset where I'm seeing people as objects. Now, this has huge implications, huge implications. Why? Because number one, people respond to our mindset, our way of being. People respond to how we see them. It's not the behaviors. I could be nice. I could be diplomatic. I could be polite. I could be very sensitive. I could be very, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know. I could be very. Uh, I follow the social etiquette of the times in the family. Do my duty at home. Be a filial son, right? All these are things at a behavioral level. I could be demonstrating everything right, but from the recipient perspective, they don't feel it. Why? Because when I'm doing it. Although my behaviors are the right behaviors, I am not seeing them as a person. I'm doing it because this is the right thing to do. I'm doing it this because, you know what? I'm concerned that you will think ill of me, right? So why is this important? Because people are primarily responding to how we are being with them, not how good or how correct or how generous our behaviors are. And that is why it's so important. So this concept of, you know, being with others is hugely relevant because it has an impact on our relationships, the quality of our lives, in our family, with our spouses, with our children, and the legacy we leave for the future generations in terms of what they remember about us. So going from a means to an end to mm-hmm. an end in themselves, right? So it's, it's really a complete distinction, right? And you're saying the outward behavior not mm-hmm. to confuse with the outward mindset, but the outward behavior is kind of like noise, but they can mm-hmm. see through it, feel through it. So yeah. it's basically my intention, right? When you're mm-hmm. talking about way of being, but mm-hmm. now how, so for example, today I went, I was going, I, I parked the car and I was going to find um, the office I needed to go to. So I stopped at a, at a shop and I said, you know, I said, um, please. And then I said, can you please tell me where 
the so-and-so building is, right? Mm -hmm. Now there, it's a fine line. I didn't ask mm -hmm. them how their day was. I didn't ask them how they're doing. I just asked a very clear question, mm -hmm. okay? Now that's a borderline situation, right? Mm -hmm. was Actually, I, was yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, Faisal, nothing wrong in what you did, right? That was a momentary interaction. You parked your car and, uh, you know, you are talking to a stranger. And it might even seem inappropriate to say, how are you doing? How's your day? And all that, right? And therefore, it is not about filling your time with all those kinds of things, right? Okay. It's about even if you just had a direct conversation, excuse me, uh, you know, I'm going to this place. I, I'm just uh, wondering whether... I'm walking in the di direction. Could you help me, right? Now, that's a polite thing to say or yeah. ask, right? Now, you don't have to do anything else. But the other person, most of the time, can sense whether you are regarding them as a person as you did that. Okay, so it's not, and, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, so it's, yeah. Not, it's not that I'm not, I don't have to ask how they're doing as long as in my core, mm -hmm. I'm not, it's not a means to an end. It's not like I'm, I'm asking because I want to go there. I don't really care or have anything. Okay, okay. Right. Okay, so now, yeah. so now I have these two states, but then there's the mm -hmm. energetics, right? There's my mm -hmm. intentions. So is right. it intention driven? Is it, you know, we say Nia, right? Is it intention driven? Like how, how, do you, how do you make sure you stay on this side and not the other? Mm -hmm. Is it okay. care? Is it love? Is it empathy? Is, right. it, is it relatedness? What, right. Connectedness? What, what is it? Is it presence? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, the closest I can think of is actually presence or self-awareness, right? Okay. When I'm talking to you, Faisal, right? Am I aware of how I'm regarding you? Regarding Do I have, yeah. Do I have, do I have self-awareness of who I am in this moment? Am I really seeing you? Am I seeing you as a person? Do I have enough self-awareness in this moment? Because that is what is going to make a difference. Because if you use the words empathy, love, and all that, right? Now, here's the thing. I could be seeing you as a, an object and still be empathetic, but it will be a behavioral manifestation of empathy. It yeah. will not be true empathy core. Yeah. Same thing for love, right? Uh, you know, love, you know, you manifest it in the form of behaviors and all that, but it will not be love because the question is, am I seeing you as a person? So if you ask me, the core of the being is having awareness about who we are in this moment. And that is what is gonna determine whether we can shift, you know, we catch ourselves being inward, seeing other people's objects and quickly get out of it. It's self-awareness. Okay. So how, how does one sharpen that muscle of self-awareness? Mm -hmm. Like what are there tools? Are there exercises? Are there mm -hmm. questions we ask ourselves? Are there reflections? How, how, mm -hmm. how does one go about, you know, right. it's, it's a muscle, right? At the end of the day, it's yeah, a it's a muscle. Yeah. So the beauty of this research and this explanation around the self-deception problem is, right, there is a clear explanation that helps us understand how we move between the two states, from the outward where we see people as people to the inward where we see people as objects, right? And when we start to understand how we move from one state to the other, and to realize that actually this shift from an outward to an inward mindset is totally our own doing. And to understand how that happens helps us catch ourselves and minimize that shift from an outward to an inward mindset, number one. Number two, the other thing is, what are the symptoms of the inward mindset? And here, here it's very clear, right? Yeah. Anything that we do that is coated with blame or self-focus 
is symptomatic of the inward mindset. I repeat, anything that we do, which is coated with blame or self-focus or both is symptomatic of the inward mindset. And the only reason we experience those type of emotions is because we have violated the very principle of life, that life is in relationship. And when we violate that principle and start to see people as objects, right? There are certain unique emotions we start to experience. Now, when we talk about emotions, Faisal, right? Here's the thing, human beings are emotional beings, yeah. right? Yeah, so it's not about being devoid of emotions, but there's one set of emotions which are blaming self-focus in nature, which are unique to the inward mindset where we objectify people. And to recognize what are these emotions that are unique to that state. Because the moment I recognize them, I'm already out of them. And the question is, how do I expand that self-awareness, right? So the moment I recognize, hey, shucks, I'm having this type of emotion. The moment I recognize it, I've already entered the other state, the outward mindset yeah. state. Yeah. Exactly. So self-awareness is so important to, you know, to unshackle ourselves moment to moment. And then the next question is, how do we expand that space where we are outward? Okay, so, so if, I mean, we, you know, we, we have, I mean, a, a number of people in the advisory space, obviously, and other people that are families, right, themselves. Mm -hmm. And um, so now, they, you know, all, many of them have teams, right? And, and mm -hmm. obviously, we can, you know, we can arrange a workshop and, and work with the teams. But after this webinar, if they wanted to explain, right, it's, mm -hmm. it's still not so straightforward, right? I mean, self-focus, they're running companies, it's bottom line, mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, you know, we look at add value, change lives, impact, change, and as a mm -hmm. result, the byproduct is profit. But mm -hmm. a lot of organizations do not operate like that. Mm -hmm. So the, in order for the, the person not to have self-focus or the organization not to have self-focus, a lot has to shift, right? The whole value system has to shift. Right. So, Otherwise so, it's just lip service. Uh, yeah. So Faisal, let's talk about a company, right? Okay. Whether it's a family or company, it's an, org it's an organization, yeah. right? Okay. And if you take a human body as a metaphor, you've got the hearts, you've got the heart, you've got the lungs, you've got, you know, you've got so many different organs that need to work well together, together. right? So similarly in an organization, you've got the finance department, the marketing, the sales, the production, you name it, right? You've got several departments that need to work very well together. In a family, you've got different people, different responsibilities, right? They all need to work well together. So imagine in a company setting, the marketing department says, you know, I'm going to do my job. I don't care about others. Do you think the company is now going to be at its best if the, all the different organs of an organization are not working in tandem, collaborating well with each other? No, you know? of course. It's so, yeah. Same thing. Imagine a family where, you know, the different people, right? Whether the, the husband, wife, their parents, you know, the, the grandparents, the children, right? The siblings, if it's a joint family, right? They all have responsibilities. They all impact each other as long as they live together. They affect each other, right? Now, do they recognize their impact on each other? Do they feel accountable for their impact on each other? And that is what we are talking about. It is not about sacrificing my needs to serve the needs of others. That is selfless. That is being altruistic. That has nothing to do with what we are talking about. In this body of work, we are saying, as an individual Faisal, you are Faisal. You have a role to play in your family, in your business, in your society. And your role, your dharma 
is to do just that. But the way you do it, are you mindful of the impact of the people that you impact? Are you aware of the impact you have on the people around you? And are you doing your dharma, your duty in a way that takes into account your impact on other people? That is what this body of work is about. And if you look at it from that lens, yeah. are we better off as a company? Are we better off as a family? Okay, interesting. I, mean, I was, I, uh, I, th there was a review done by the team on me. And so mm -hmm. me showing up in full energy and full 100% and my well-being head is on there, so he must be smiling his head off. Um, and they came back that it's too much. So if it's too much, and that's the impact I'm having, irrespective of my intentions, right? Yeah. That makes it inward. It seems like that for me, because as long as I'm not considering my impact on other people, I'm not mindful, I'm not alive to the kind of impact I have. Do I even understand how others are feeling and responding and affected by me, right? If yeah. all those are absent, my intention is of no use because as an ecosystem, I'm not an optimally contributing member. I'm actually thumbing others down. Okay. Now, because that was like being black and white in a world that's not so black and white can become a challenging experience. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Being yeah. so straightforward without right. some sugarcoating can be very difficult for others to digest. So these exactly. are all things you're saying that adjust to the, to the environment, irrespective of your intentions. That's right. So right? you maintain in the intention, but adjust mm -hmm. to be able to execute in a manner that is most mindful or whatever word you want to use in That's terms right. of the people that you are impacting. Yeah. So, so if I were to put an equation, right, Riza, yeah. you have intention, right? Yeah. Number two, the intention alone, it's not going to get anywhere. It requires okay. action, right? Okay. But before I can act, I have an intention. Do I recognize the people that I have to be with, work with, live with? Okay. Do I understand their needs? Do I understand my impact, my potential impact on them, right? And then when you think about my action, right, is my action taking into account the needs of others, the impact I have on them as I pursue my intention, my goals? So you have three parts to it. Just the intention alone or the action following the intention are grossly insufficient. That is where the problem starts. In fact, you can call it self-righteous living because right. I'm not taking into account so I tell, the I needs. tell my team to change my title. <laughs> <laughs> Look at Santa. I just put you, I, I just put yeah, you in exactly. a trap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, that's okay. So now you're talking about the organization. You're talking about the family. Now, what about the person that they're serving, right? Mm -hmm. So some of obviously all of us have teams and they, mm -hmm. like we are taking care of families. We are, mm -hmm. you know, there's others in the advisory space. They're doing it in their manner. There's others who are, who are impacting next generations, right? I mean, we're all doing our part to help, mm -hmm. you know, change the world in, mm -hmm. in, 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 in a way that we feel will be more conscious in our own realm. So now what mm -hmm. about that space, right? I mean, obviously mm -hmm. we're mindful. You're saying be mindful, be present, understand who's in front of you. You have the intentions, but how do you build a team that's mm -hmm. in that space, right? right? One person, two person. I mean, I know we're talking about culture right. here. 
Right. So, so uh, one of the quotes that I usually share in uh, in the sessions that I do is this: to invite change in others' face are we have to respect their right not to change. Okay. To invite change in others, we have to respect their right not to change. So the okay. people in the helping profession, right? I have met people who are so committed to the change the other, their customer, their client needs to make that it has become personal for them. That means the respect of the right of the individual that they are helping, right, is no longer there. They are offended if the other person doesn't change. They feel personally, you know, uh, hurt if the other person doesn't change. And that is the biggest liability to inviting change in others. Do we respect their right not to change? Number one, right? Number two, in the process of helping others change, are we looking at our lives ourselves? Let's say, Fizal, I'm working with you, right? Let's say I'm working with you, right? In the stories you share, in the challenges you are sharing with me, am I looking at my life and say, hey, what, what message am I getting about my own life as I'm working with Fizal to help his life? Because if I'm not able to see through your lens, my life, and see how there are areas in my life that I need to change, right? I cannot be a good change agent in your life. Change in and inviting change in others is only possible if I'm the subject of change becomes the, you know, the, the person who's inviting me to change, yeah. right? And if I'm not bringing that vulnerability into that relationship, yeah. you know, change is not going to be optimal. That has been my experience. And that is what this body of work is also suggesting. Okay, yeah, because that's why when you speak, you know, when, when, when you have mentors and mentees, the mentees always feel that, wait a minute, you know, the mentor is actually doing them a favor when actually the change in reflection is probably more on the mentor side than on the mentee side if that's they're right. coming with it, the approach that you just, just described. Right? That's right. So yeah. now let's say you are being resisted by change. Okay, so now what you're talking about, not imposing, that's what you're talking about, yes. not expecting and not judging if it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. But the mm -hmm. thing is that if that, if we want to move from an inward mindset to an outward mindset, and there are individuals who choose not to change, and it's an mm -hmm. organization, then it's time to have an honest conversation. That's right. Right? So it's A not very about bulldozing them. You're no. saying don't bulldoze them, but have the conversation. That's right. Because when people joined an organization, right, there was a contract, a contract that was implicitly or explicitly agreed upon. Example, let's say, Faisal, you interview me to join your organization. You know, there are some commitments I make. Number one, you know, uh, okay, you, I, these, are my, these are what I'm good at. I can do a good job for you in this area. That's the opening you have. You know, I understand you will have very demanding targets. You'll stretch your targets. You'll set, you know, uh, audacious goals. And I'm prepared for that. I commit to delivering results and embracing audacious goals, number one. I also commit to being a good team player. At the time of the interview, I'm not saying, hey, Faisal, I'm an introvert. I can't work well with others, you know. <laughs> you know, uh, so don't let me, you know, don't, don't put people in my face, can Right? I'm not telling you all that. I'm saying, no, I can be a good team player and all that. I agree to that. Yeah. So, and I'm also agreeing and committing to the fact that I will grow. I'll make myself better. I may not have the skills right now, but I'll grow and get it. Right. So these are the commitments I'm making. 
So in after you recruit me, if I'm starting to have problems with people, and then you are starting to spend an onerous amount of time managing me. Hey, Senthil, why aren't you working well with Jamie? You know, it's very difficult. And that becomes a hygiene issue that you're spending onerous amount of effort and time on. It requires a conversation because I've failed in my contract with you. I've reneged on my side of the contract. But you continue to fulfill your bargain by paying me my salary, taking care of my needs and everything, right? So there's a problem here. The contract has been broken. But in many organizations, they don't look at it like that. They end up spending a lot of time, okay, let's go for team building. Let's do this. Let's do that, right? Instead of calling a spade a spade. Hey, what's happening? This is unacceptable. This is not what you signed up for. Sort it out, right? So we are not able to have those direct conversations and know and tell people, listen, this is a threshold. I can't wait for two years for you to make your relationship with Jamie work. You need to sort this out. You know, what's that problem, right? Figure it out yourself. If you want help, come to me. But this is your ball to carry because your commitment was you can work well as a team, right? But if I'm a block, if I'm creating some of these problems, let me know. I want to help. And I'm also thinking, I'm looking at the mirror and thinking, is it because of me that Central is having problems with Jamie? As a leader, you're already thinking that. But you're not letting me off the hook because my commitment was I'll deliver on results. I'll be a good team player and I'll grow. Oh, okay. Because there, there's, I mean, I, I can see some of the people, I mean, please ask questions, but they can say, yeah, they're delivering on results mm-hmm. and they're the top in that space and really crushing it. Right. So let's say mm-hmm. they're supposed to make 10 and now they're making 15, whatever the thing is, whether it's revenue, whatever it is. Right. And, and so the question becomes what is more important, but that's, I guess, an organizational question. But what right. you're saying is that, to have the conversation, and then what? Okay, so so that determines culture of an organization, right? For example, there are some companies that say, hey, performance at all costs, I don't care. If you have to burn bridges, if you have to you know, ruin people's <laughs> lives, just get the result. And those organizations are saying, as long as you deliver the numbers, I'm not gonna disturb you. But more and more enlightened organizations are starting to realize that is not a sustainable proposition. When you have one A player who's able to deliver double-digit growth, you know, able to, you know, have outstanding results. But when you look around him, right, it's like a war zone. He's left, you know, people in with wounds all over, right? And if that is the predicament, right, then the organization, the leader, there's a call a leader needs to make. Is this the organization I need? Right? Because if you have somebody who's delivering the results, but is hemorrhaging the entire organization, now, what does it mean for the organization? That's the leader setting the cultural tone, right? So we are noticing in the work that we are doing with many organizations, they are moving away from that. They say, if the A A player is undermining the work of others, we don't need that A player. Because the sum of all is far greater than one player. And it might be a short-term benefit having this A player, but it's not going to help the company because we are not growing people. We are not growing the systems. We are reliant on an individual, which is a high-risk prospect for a company to rely on one person rather than a system to grow the business. All right. So now, so now we've understood it. This is We have the intention, right? Now, how do I practice that space of being mindful of 
knowing my impact of understanding, you know, what it does mm-hmm. irrespective okay. of I mean, everything, right? The words, the, the energy, right. the, the presence. Right. Yeah. So, so the way Arbinja has designed its sessions, right? For example, uh, Fezal, we are talking about, you know, uh, potentially running a, a one day, two, four hour sessions, right? Called living with an outward mindset, right? So there are two parts to it. And the first part is the most critical part. We need to equip, empower people, families, leaders, teams with a language to help them understand how they are a problem for themselves and they can't even see it and how they are therefore a problem for others. Because if I'm a problem for myself, I'm naturally a problem for others as well because I can't function effectively, right? Now, as a result of providing the language and the way we do it is this, we help them understand what the two states or the two mindsets, how we move from one to the other, how we get stuck in the inward mindset where we objectify others, you know, how we live a life filled with distortion by being stuck in the inward mindset, how we invite others into the inward mindset and not realize that we were the primary cause of that and the consequences and the costs of all these problems. And by the time we finish this journey, we call it the self-awareness journey. Typically what happens with the participants is, is this, they start to feel deeply responsible as a result of the heightened awareness for their impact on others. And they grow in their desire to want to be helpful. So that is the first part, right? So we take them on a self-awareness journey so that they can see themselves honestly. And as a result of that, by recognizing how they are creating problems for themselves and people around them, especially for the people that matter to them, that heightened sense of self-awareness invites a deep level of responsibility in them. And they want to address their impact on others. They grow in that feeling that they want to address their impact and they become more helpful. The desire to be helpful, the intention dramatically grows. Now, the second phase is to them, then they want to know, so what do I do about this, right? Like you asked, right? And the next phase is equipping them with intuitive frameworks on what it means to work with and live with an outward mindset and address issues, right? So there are two points here. When I notice I'm inward, how do I get out? Number two, if I'm outward, how do I stay out? Both strategies need to be working in tandem because we are always not in, we are always not out. But when I'm out, I can expand that space where I'm out. But if I do slip in, I need to recognize it and quickly get out. And that is what we cover in the second half of the session, the second four hours. So that is what we do. Now, it might seem very abstract when we talk about it like this phase out, but in the workshop, right, uh, it's... it's it, we can reach to students, you know, youth, and they love it. They lap it because they finally have a language to understand what's happening internally. And they're able to address, you know, uh, you know, uh, I was doing it once in my early days for a group of people who could not speak good English. And my mother tongue is Tamil, you know? So I had to Borrow, I mean, I literally had to talk to somebody who was fluent in Tamil. I can speak spoken Tamil, but I'm not fluent. I don't have a big enough vocabulary to do a workshop in Tamil. So I actually talked to a few people to understand how do I use some of these technical words in Tamil, you know? And I did it in Tamil just for a group of people who are not so educated. And one of the people came and said to me, in Tamil, he said, and he is divorced. He lives in the same house with his divorced wife because they are poor. They can't afford to move to different houses. The children are living there as well. 
And he comes to me and said, after the session, Senthil, that was like tonic to my ears in Tamil. So it doesn't matter who seems to learn this. They seem to appreciate and, you know, uh, you know, really appreciate the power of the, and the simplicity of understanding how they are creating problems for themselves and they can't see it and what they need to do about it. Yeah. So I did, I mean, I, I did a one day with you in Singapore. It was a full day. Mm-hmm. Obviously now because of COVID, we would do two half days and you're explaining the process, right? Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe you want to give some examples of things that happen or if, if people can ask questions so we can yeah. understand in what scenarios do we end up? Because basically what you're saying, it's like, it's, it's like a continuous, you know, am I continuously present and engaged throughout the day, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's monitoring my energy levels. It's monitoring my state of being. So you're saying having the awareness to, if I've gone inward to come back outward or to exit mm-hmm. it, right? And if I'm outward, how do I make the most of it? Right. So, so it's, it's not, it's not, it doesn't have to be so sophisticated face off. Right. Okay. So let's say, right. I'm just driving, I'm driving to work. Right. Okay. And suddenly, you know, uh, Faisal, you come to my mind, Hey, Faisal asked me this question. I haven't responded yet. You know? Now here's a question. Why is that thought occurring to me? It's because life is in relationship right? And my deep connectedness to you, the humanity of you, Faisal, is informing me what I need to be doing for you in that moment, right? So we call it a sense. Now see what happens when you discard that sense. Just see what happens. Storytelling will start in our head, Right. So when we talk about heightened sense of self-awareness, it it is not a great effort, but to be alive to some of the thoughts. Right. For example, I'm driving and Faisal is coming to my mind. I'm supposed to do this and to be aware of it, conscious of it, you know, lock it out, lock it in somewhere. Right. And know, hey, I have something to do for Faisal. Right. And the moment I do something about it. Right. I remain free. Right? It's simpler than we think. But the moment I discard that sense, what happens is I enter a totally new world. I have a new narrative to tell why I failed or I'm not going to you know, honor that sense I had toward you. So it is not about you know, having heightened awareness and you know, we, yeah. we, we may think about it abstractly, Faisal. It's not like that, right? So the program helps us see how do we recognize moments when we are outward? What are the invitations we are getting on a moment-to-moment basis to remain outward? How do we recognize them? How do we honor them so that we expand that space, number one? Number two, how do we notice when, oh, shucks, I'm already inward? What are the emotions that are give away that I've entered the inward mindset? I'm operating from an inward mindset. And how do I get out of it, right? So it's, it's as simple as that. It's elementary but it requires a process to empower ourselves with both the self-awareness component as well as the change component. We need both, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to make this uh, more complicated than it is. So, I mean, in terms of ego, in terms of beliefs and patterns, all these must play a role in all of this, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, right. So I mean, getting in, this body, yeah. in this body of work, right, Faisal, the moment the... Ego state as you know, plain layman's way of defining ego, right? 
The ego state is nothing but the inward mindset because the ego state is self-focused. Okay. Right? Now, what, when I'm outward, right? I'm one with others. Okay. I'm so not about apart the one from from humanity. Others. You're talking about wholeness. You're talking about... That's right. That's not a very small... Okay, that's pretty grandiose. But yeah. it's, but, it's realistic. Yeah. But here's the thing, right? Every human being is moving between the two every single moment. Yeah. No human being is 100% inward, egoistic, or 100%, 100% you know, yeah. one with others, right? We just keep moving between the two, right? And the whole journey of life is to expand that space where we are one with others. Yeah. We call it being with people, yeah. right? And minimize the space where we are egoistic, where we are objectifying others, serving our needs as exclusion of others, right? So we are not presenting a theoretical proposition. We are saying, this is a reality of life. We are imperfect human beings. We are mixed mindset people, right? And do we have a way to recognize when we are inward and get out of it? Do we have a way to heighten our awareness and recognize the, the suggestions that come to us? right? That allows us to expand the oneness, right? And both need to coexist, you know, so that our life journey is becoming better, not being perfect. That's theoretical, but being better moment to moment. Yeah. Because the thing is, it can become a, a, a whole process of beating yourself up, right? If you oh. always want to be on the outward, when certain That's times right. you just want things to get done, mm -hmm. but you don't have the intention of not, you know, dehumanizing someone, but mm -hmm. You just, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to get from one place to the other. Like I gave example before. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think it's, uh, it's uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Give, give us a few more examples. I think, you know, yeah. just to clarify. So let's say, right. I, I, I live a life with uh, deeply held beliefs, values, convictions. Okay. Uh, you know, I want to be a good father. I want to be a good son. You know, these are all deeply held convictions, right? I believe in these values and I live them, you know? And then, you know, and I do that. That's my intention and I'm executing it, right? And one day I catch myself that, you know what? Or somebody tells me that I'm not so dutiful. I'm not so? I'm not so dutiful, okay. right? Or, you know, my intentions are suspect, right? Okay. And I take offense to that. Okay. Right? Now my offense taking in that moment is the giveaway that I've been living a self-righteous life because I'm not able to receive the feedback of the other person, right? Because if I was truly one with others in that moment and I have this huge conviction about, you know, doing my duty as a father, as a parent, as a son and all that, right? And if somebody gave me that feedback, if I was in oneness, how would I receive that feedback? Hey, Faisal, tell me more. Am I missing something? Am I blind to something? Are you picking up something that I'm not seeing yet, right? Why didn't those questions appear as a first thought when I received feedback from you? Why did I take offense, right? So, so that is what we're talking about. The self-awareness needs to help us not hurt ourselves more, not, you know, but to help us humanize ourselves more, you know, Right. And, and we, we see this all the time in people who come and attend our workshops. Right. Some of them, what they're doing is they learn this material and they start to see the truth about their own living. And they get upset that they were living a self-righteous life. You know, so one of the things we caution them is, hey, listen, 
it's okay if you make a mistake, right? Uh, when you make a mistake, have compassion and understanding for yourself. It's okay, right? And when you succeed, have gratitude and humility, right? Then you smoothen the curve, like COVID, right? You want to smoothen the curve, right? <laughs> but, but if not, what happens is we go through a roller coaster, right? Because of our deeply held beliefs and convictions, when we catch ourselves not being in the right place, when we do something wrong, we hurt ourselves, we beat ourselves up. Yeah. And when we succeed, we get so elated, we go through this roller coaster, right? You know? So how do we now smoothen the curve, right? We make a mistake, it's okay, let me learn from it. You know, have compassion and understanding. And when I succeed, how do I have gratitude and humility, right? And those are possible only with self-awareness where I'm operating with, you know, being one with others, right? I'm not being an isolated person, right? One apart from others, you know, yeah. Because I mean, you're, you're hitting on a lot of different elements, right? So, so the whole, I mean, many of us are trying to prove our worth. Many of us are, are still in the space of, of having some form of dependencies, right? Many of us are still in the space of filling voids within ourselves, right? So, you know, not being attached is different from being detached, right? So you're not, you're saying don't be attached, but don't be detached, right? Because detached yeah. means you have zero yeah um, yeah so so these are all human realities right? that's right we completely yeah. fulfilled within and 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 you know some of the women won't like it but being an island right mm -hmm. is 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 one one state but then again you're saying don't be an island where you're isolated right the interdependency mm -hmm. is there the complementary yeah. the, the relationship yeah. is there the ability to relate is still there right yeah so, exactly so but but these are very basic elements that we all are you know, experiencing right. no matter what state of consciousness we're in. So how, yeah. you know, how do we not end up beating ourselves up when these are some of our realities? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the thing is this, right? Uh, a lot of people tend to associate some of their own mannerisms to their personality, you know? Okay. And it's, it's unfortunate that they use the word personality because the moment I use personality for certain, certain emotional triggers that I have, right? It's as if they can't be changed. Yeah. This is just right? my way. The, this is me. Like that's me. right. So, yeah. But the truth of the matter is a lot of these emotional triggers that we have are not our personality. They are who we are when we are operating with what we call the inward mindset. You know, and to have a language to understand this is not me, this is who I am when I'm operating with an inward mindset. But there is another me that reveals itself every single day, you know, right? And that's where hope is that this is not me, this is a version of me when I'm inward, okay? And that offers a lot of hope. It's so liberating to recognize and to accept and realize and see for ourselves that actually I am a different person when I'm outward. And all I need to do is expand that space and minimize the space. And when I am in that inward mindset space, the ego space and so on, right? To, to recognize it for what it is, not get angry, not get offended. Yeah, that's part of me as well, right? But okay, let me move here. Let me try to expand this space, right? And that becomes a more livable journey rather than, oh, I'm not good. You know, I want to be here. I'm not good enough, right? Then we have these high standards and life becomes so painful to live, right? We are not living in the present anymore. So one of the things we are encouraging in the workshop tries to do is helps people enjoy their life, you know, live life 
and enjoy the present rather than beat ourselves with our past or fear the future and forget about the present. You know, it's about, okay, how do we have that awareness so that we can live in the moment, right? And then, you know, recognize I'm an imperfect person. I'm a mixed mindset person. And my job is just to be a bit better. Okay. Yeah, that is me too. I'm not going to beat myself up about that. I recognize that is it. Let me, you know, it's okay. I'll try better the next time. And when I'm outward, right? Okay, how do I expand this? Okay, I succeeded here. Here I failed. Let me try again, right? And I learned to move on with my life. So I'm not presenting an artificial, you know, uh, or an extreme standard for myself and, you know, and you know, make it very painful for myself. Yeah. yeah. So I would look at it as an analogy for when you meditate, right? So when you're meditating and you have a thought, right? You acknowledge it and you let it go. So I think it's the same thing that this is, you want to create a default of having an outward mindset. But when we end up in that inward mindset, we acknowledge it and we let it go. We don't resist yeah. it. We don't push it. We don't, you know, blame ourselves or, or, or mm-hmm. you know, label ourselves because of that state. So I right. think it's the same like when you meditate, right? You acknowledge the thought, right. you let it go. You acknowledge right. the thought, you let it go. And slowly those will become a minority and the majority is the right. default. I think that's what that's you're right. trying to, look at without yeah. that pressure and, and, and push yeah. and, and labeling. That's right. So the, the only thing about this body of work, right? Uh, we try to be as layman centric as possible phase out, right? Okay. So we want to make sure that the masses can appreciate this, you know, this idea, right? And we can empower as many people as possible. You know, so you will notice that the approach we take to self-awareness, that the handles and the crushes we give people so that they can recognize their own inward mindset, the way we empower people with crutches to shift back to an outward mindset, the way we help people recognize, hey, I've got this sense occurring to me. What do I do with this? Right. How do I anchor on that and remain outward, expand the outward space? They are all so lemanish, right? Uh, it's it's so empowering for people. Like I said, it doesn't matter how junior you are, how senior you are, right? It doesn't matter. I personally worked in 19 countries supporting individuals and teams with this body of work. And it doesn't matter where I do it, Faisal, there seems to be a universal resonance to these ideas. And at the end of it, you know, you can hear that heart, right? Uh, That heart feeling lighter, because they know how to navigate issues better than they were before they started the journey, right? Yeah. But also I think they must be shifting also in terms of how they treat themselves, right? Isn't that also, is oh. there, isn't there much oh. more kindness and love and empathy towards themselves as yeah. this shift happens? So, <laughs> or yeah, again, Faisal, a different word, yeah. No, no, you, you, you hit it on the head because think about it, right? Remember I shared two states. I'm either seeing you as a person or I'm seeing you as an object. Now, let me ask you a simple question. Is it possible to see you as a person if I'm seeing myself as an object? Yeah, yeah that's exactly. That's what I right? was, that's what we're going to yeah, Exactly. Yeah. So it's only, the, the only way I can see you as a person is I'm seeing myself as a person too. Yeah. Right? And the only way I can see myself as a person is if I'm seeing you as a person, right? So... It has to be personal reflection of my inner. Yeah, yeah, you're going back yeah. to the core. Yeah. So, and and that a lot of people think, oh, uh, I'm seeing you as a person, right? But actually, I'm not seeing myself as a person. And they think that is outward, which is not outward. That is still inward. We call it the outwardly nice inward mindset. 
Well, you know? Outwardly nice, inward nice, mindset. Inward, yeah, it's self-deception. <laughs> okay. I'm deceiving myself into thinking I'm outward, but I'm not. Okay. Because I'm not seeing myself as a person, right? Remember, being outward means you matter to me as much as I matter to myself. I'm not putting you on a pedestal and putting yeah. myself below. I'm not putting myself on a pedestal and putting you below. You matter. Your needs matter. Your objectives matter as much as I and mine matter. But I've got responsibility for my job, my life, my family. And I'm going to pursue them in the best possible way. Yeah. That's my job. That's my responsibility, my duty in life. But the way I do it, I'm going to be mindful of the impact I have on people around me and make sure when I do it, I'm not doing it in a way that undermines people around me. That is what the essence of this body of work is all about, living with an awkward mindset. It's not about going and doing other people's work, sacrificing myself, my family for other people. No, then I'm reneging on my duty. Yes. As a husband, as a father, as a son, I'm reneging on my duty. And you're not treating yourself, like you said, as a human, as a human being, as a person, right? You made you're treating yourself as a means to an end, and it's exactly means to their end, not even to your own end. Right. So imagine if a family splits, right, and one of the members of the, the parents, right, decides, okay, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to sacrifice my life for the child. Is that a healthy thought? Definitely not, but it's going to take a lot of convincing in the Asian world. Yeah, go ahead. Right. Yeah, because, you know, in that, right, imagine the burden, the unconscious burden we are yes. imposing on the child now exactly. for the rest of the child's life. Yes. Right? So am I truly seeing the child as a person if I've adopted that posture? and Or if that is a message the child has received that the parent has sacrificed their life for them? Can the child live free? Or is a parent now going to live a life, you know, for themselves as well, dignify themselves as well? So there are many issues that happen on a day-to-day -day basis in families, right? Where they don't have sufficient self-awareness to recognize that some of the decisions they are making are actually not helping. They, they think the intentions are good, but they've actually burdened the next generation in a very big way. And unfortunately, a lot of people may not even recognize those kind of decisions that they make, right? So what living with an outward mindset is inviting these people to consider is, hey, your son is very important. Your child is very important. No doubt about, no, no doubt about it. Yeah, and you have to give it your best, but you can't give it your best by sacrificing yourself. Yeah. You matter as much as your child. And are you, you know, taking care of yourself as much as you're taking care of your child. You know, and as a person, I've got a lot of needs. I've got social needs. I want to be with somebody, you know, right? I, I, I don't want to be alone, right? There are other needs. Am I addressing them? Do I know how to helpfully navigate those discussions with my child? You know, because a child might have fear about me, you know, getting into a relationship, right? Am I able to navigate them? Because a lot of people are able to do that because they recognize this reality. And then going back to, let's say, the family, you know, we have a lot of family businesses in the room, is, um, again, the, the imposition or expectation to succeed them or mm -hmm. to follow 
right? They're what is for them considered, you know, the, the right options, right? Mm-hmm. And of mm-hmm. course, now there's a lot of, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use the word disharmony, but a lot of tension, especially on the China side and the Asian side, where finally the next gen is saying, look, you know, we're just not interested, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So how, yeah. how are you, I mean, mm-hmm. are you seeing a lot of those changes happening? Yeah, yeah. On entitlement, it, it, yeah. I think, uh, you know, uh, for example, I mean, uh, you are in this business uh, more than me, Faisal, but you think about it, right? A family business, you have the people who started a business, then they hand over to their sons, right? Now it's the second generation, sons, siblings running a business. And then from siblings, it becomes cousins running the business, right? Imagine the complexity, right? Right. And imagine the number of new players entering, you know, the marriages, the family members. I mean, the, the, there's enough, uh, you know, uh, people, you know, to make it more complicated, right? And if we don't navigate these one step at a time with the right mindset, make the right decisions, right? You know, one step at a time, we might be setting up the third and fourth generation for a very bad breakout because we did not navigate situations with a outward mindset where, you know, it's one, you know, you know, are we between the siblings, are they able to have conversations, right? Are they able to recognize the reality that the next generation will make it work together or will not make it work together? Or are we holding on to the self-righteous belief? No, no, no. You know, we are this family. We do not do this. Right. And then we adopt certain, you know, postures, right. Uh, which which are planning to fail postures, right? Are we able to recognize realities? Are we reading the signals right? You know, are we healing as much as we can, right? Do we recognize issues that cannot be healed and therefore tough decisions need to be made, right? Those are really tough issues. Uh, I'm uh, I'll be I'm working with one organization, and they are right now passing on to the fourth generation leaders. Okay, but the first generation leader who has already passed away, the people that he employed are still in the company. Wow. Right? So now, do they have a sway, a say in a lot of things? Now, how do the third and fourth generation people deal with people who are loyal to the first generation leader? Do we have the right mindset to navigate all these issues? Or are we scared to even broach issues around obsoleteness, lack of skill, you know, uh, fundamental restructuring needs to happen, but these people will be affected. How do we now navigate all these tough decisions without the right mindset? You know, uh, so, yeah, so it's a very interesting topic. To- we've got, we've got five more minutes. If um, there, there are questions, I mean, Santil can keep giving us. So how many of us in the room, if, if Santil was... I mean, this is what we're planning to do. Two half days would be interested to 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 join and to understand what it means to what what the actual means and how do you acknowledge when you are in the inward so that you 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 move towards the outward and then staying in that space and learning to expand that space. I mean, as we continue, um, let's see. Um, we've got a very silent group today. Interesting. I don't want to point on names because. Uh, Okay, we've got one person in the room, put their hand up, but um, we got another one. Um, so the thing is that, that I'm, I'm just trying to look at it, let's say from a, from a 
parent-child perspective as well, right? I mean, there's there's mm-hmm. a power power play as well, right? I mean, and and so what you're saying is even when you're doing yourself, don't label the person, label the behavior, right? That's yeah, what the it, issue yeah. needs to be addressed. The issue needs to be addressed. You know, we need to understand there's an issue. We need to, you know, really understand where it's coming from. We need to check whether we are in a good enough place to approach this issue healthfully, right? We need to start with ourselves. That's where self-awareness comes in. Uh, do we have our own triggers playing up and therefore we are biased in the way we view, approach, you know, deal with the situation, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But, but okay, so let's say we did this one day. I mean, what, what mm-hmm. else, you, I mean, what else are you doing? Are you, is, mm-hmm. is that really enough? I mean, I've done the one day and I just told you I had a review mm-hmm. today and I can tell you that uh, mm-hmm. I definitely displayed a number of, Example yeah. that you just gave of self-righteousness, yeah. right. for sure. So, yeah, Faisal, so here's the thing, right? Uh, remember, we are on a journey. Life is a yeah. journey, right? Yeah. So at no point are we saying that just because you attend a one-day workshop, I'll be perfect, right? But it provides me with enough handles, right? Okay. Together with everything else I'm learned, okay? Yeah. To continue the journey in a more effective way, number one. Number two, what we find uh, where it's most successful is when people attend, let's say a family attends or a team attends, okay, right? Okay. And then they come together. And after that, what they do is they have their own rituals, you know, rituals as in, you know, self-awareness rituals. You know, they start a meeting with, uh, you know, a, a five-minute conversation around self-awareness. or so, you know, they in, embed these things inside so that they are not, you know, they're not stuck they're able to move forward in a better way and they're progressing successfully. Now, while Faisal, you might talk about some of your own inward mindset behaviors, right? But I would say that that is, yeah, that is part of you, right? The question is not that you're exhibiting those. The question is, are you on a journey forward? And I would say, yes, you are, right? Yeah, you have okay. more self-awareness now. It's not just because of Arbinger, because of everything else you're doing. You are a seeker. You're learning new things. You're trying to make sense of your life. You're trying to make sense of your challenges, your issues, right? And that, that is what it is. It's not about, hey, after attending the workshop, I still got problems. Of course we have problems. We are mixed minds <laughs> people. <laughs> I attended the workshop a while ago. Yeah. And, and yeah, so. All right, Santa, we've got a last yeah. couple minutes left. Everybody mm-hmm. seems to be, I don't know, March, we got to write this down, March 10th, no questions. Um, <laughs> so any, give us some closing remarks. We got a couple of minutes left. What, what would you, what would you recommend? I mean, yes, we will, we will reach out to, to do a program together or a workshop together, mm-hmm. but in the meantime, some suggestions, some ideas, some <laughs> tools that okay. we can go home with that, that we can start to, sharpen before we show up together to run the workshop? Uh, There are two things I'd like to suggest to the uh, audience today. Number one is notice your triggers, right? What causes you to get into a a place where you're experiencing blame and self-focus? What causes that trigger? Right. What, what, sorry, what is the trigger, right? Oh, when my child doesn't do the homework, I tend to get triggered. You know, when uh, the salesperson doesn't report to me, when I ask him a question, you know, I get triggered, right? Just notice your triggers, number one, right? And as you notice your triggers, just notice your thought pattern when you're triggered, right? It'll give you an understanding of whether your thoughts after getting triggered are inviting you to a better place or taking you into a dark place. Okay. That's number one, right? That's self-awareness for you. 
The other one is, right, which I talked about earlier, right? Just notice the senses that are occurring to you. Call mom. Hey, this person is coming to my mind all the time, right? Maybe I should send them a WhatsApp message, a WeChat message, right? Just be alive to the people, the senses that are occurring to you, right? Okay. And ask yourself, and uh, not ask yourself, let me share with you why these are occurring to you. Because life is in relationship. And our deep connectedness to the humanity of others is informing us what we need to be doing for others. And by just recognizing these senses, right? These helpful senses, call mom. Hey, better remind Faisal about this. Better talk to this person. Better send an email to this person, right? And just learning to honor them, right? Because they are coming from a place of deep connectedness is very, very empowering. Just Notice your triggers and what they are doing to you and be alive to your senses and honor them and see what happens in your life. Wow, that's beautiful. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll share that when we send, share the webinar. Oh, there's a yeah. question that came up. Yeah. Oh, somebody's, did you find a particular generation is more self-aware and flexible than others or is it more of a gender difference? Uh, <clears throat> the work I've done so far, uh, I wouldn't place anything on gender uh, it's more because every human being is a mixed mindset person. In some places, you know, the women are more in the box. In some places, the men are more in the box, right? Uh, so I wouldn't, uh, I don't have any uh, statistic to provide, uh, you know, something that a gender plays a part. No, I, I have, that has not been my experience. Now, the other one is, do you find a particular generation is more self-aware? Now, uh, definitely the first generation, right? the ones who went through the battle to create things, right? Uh, there seems to be generally, it's not uh, a, a perfect yeah. rule, yeah. Uh, but generally they seem to have more self-awareness compared to the second and third generation who, who if they grow up with this um, entitlement mentality, the self-awareness is less, you know, but it is not, not, I, I wouldn't say it is a norm, but yeah. generally the people who go through the tough and tumble, rough and tumble, right? There seems to be more self-awareness in that group. It's again, not a perfect answer, yeah, uh, but, but that, uh, that seems to be the case, yeah. All right, Santo, thank you very much for your time. Um, we'll share the two suggestions that you made when we share the, the videos mm -hmm. and um, we'll also reach out and uh, finalize dates for the program, two half days together. And I'm looking mm -hmm. forward to it. And, and uh, we'll make, you know, as a, as a company, we'll also be there so that um, we can, you know, learn together and grow together to live more on that side than, than the other that I gave examples to. Sure. So thank you very much, Santo. Sorry, everyone, for, you, being, yeah. for, for being, being a few minutes late. Next week, we have um, Kathleen coming back, talking about, you know, how are we going to show up once we come out of this cocoon that we've been, we've, we've been in. And the week after, we're going to be discussing um, with a real exceptional human being that's going to actually do a session on me live, uh, which should be quite interesting. And then the week after that, we're going to be talking about security and uh, how we can be more mindful in that space. So thank you very much, everyone. Appreciate your time and energy and uh, see you next week. Thank you. Mm -hmm.